Great to see you. I've had so many people come up to me and say, oh, we love the book of Ruth. We love the book of Ruth. I do too. Great book. I won't be here in, the ne- in two weeks' time. I'll be down in Barrel teaching down there, the students down there, so I'll certainly miss being with you. But uh, Brian will be taking the service in two weeks' time. Barrel, by the way, was also affected by the floods. They became a little island, if you've been down there in the southern highland area, completely cut off. You couldn't get into the town. You couldn't get out for a day or two. And, uh, and then following that, two weeks after that, we'll be doing a special Easter service, obviously, because it'll be just before a few days before we celebrate Easter together. So we'll have a pause with Ruth. And we'll pick up chapter 3 probably around mid-April, somewhere around there. Also today and happening right now is that Pastor Dan is down with the interns at Korokai, helping the people there. They left at 6.30 this morning. Whoa, I was awake at 6.30 and thinking they're heading off now. Three hours, they're saying. It might take them to get down there. They contacted the Lismore Council and said, what help can we be? And the uh, Lismore Council said the best place for you to go is to Korokai. So they're down there today helping the people clean up, giving giving them some hampers as well. I understand it'll be a long day. I'm sure they'll be tired when they come home tonight. So let's pray for them before we have a look at Ruth chapter 2. Father, we just want to pray for the team. Let's head down to Korokai. Working right now, we imagine, Lord, we pray for their safe arrival And pray, Lord, that they'll be a real uh, witness of you as they help those people who are in such a desperate situation, Lord. Cleaning their homes, getting rid of rubbish, being a comfort to them, praying for them also and praying with them. We pray that there might be opportunities there. We pray, Lord, that there will be some who will be astounded that young people from a church in Brisbane have travelled three hours to go down and help them with their rubbish and clean up their house. So, Lord, we pray that there would be opportunities today where they might be able to share Christ in deed and in word. And, Lord, may their their witness of you be strong today, we ask and praise. We come to your word now in Ruth chapter 2. We ask, Lord, that you might open our ears, that we might learn something new. Refresh us with the things that we do know, Lord, and encourage us, Lord, with the things that we don't know as we draw close to you in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 2, let me read it to you. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favour. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. And as it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? The servant was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. 
So she came and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, What have I found favour in your sight, that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favour in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants." At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until, it was sa- until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the standing sheaves and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. And then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself has been, had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, otherwise you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Remember, two weeks ago, we talked about the theme of loyalty, being a loyal person, that God is loyal to us and he calls us to be loyal to our family and friends and those with whom we mix. Elimelech and Naomi had made the wrong decision and they had moved out of Israel, 140 kilometres south to Moab, because famine had struck the land. And they'd gone down with their two sons, Marlon and Kilian, hoping to escape the famine. But soon after, if you remember, that they had after arrived in Moab, Elimelech died. Naomi, 
foreigner, two sons, also foreigners. It must have been extremely difficult for her to try to survive. Most likely she was poor and she needed to raise these two young men. Well, they grew up and they married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But if also you remember the two young men, they didn't keep good health and they died. And so now we have three widows in Moab. No welfare system in those days. Their income would have been extremely limited. After 10 years, Naomi heard that the famine in Judah was over, that people were eating bread again. And so she decided with her two daughters-in-law to leave Moab and to travel back into Israel. However, after they soon commenced the journey, she had a change of mind, thinking about her two daughters-in-law and how they would survive in this foreign country. And so she said to them, it's best if you don't come with me. It's best if you go back to the country, or stay in the country that you were born in, in Moab. But the two refused. Naomi pressed on them again, saying to them, well, think about the opportunities that won't come your way if you travel with me. If we go into Israel, it's unlikely that you'll marry, unlikely that you'll have children. The only option would be, when you think about how, you know, pretty rare this would be, Naomi's saying, the only option would be if I go back and I marry and then I have children and guess what, I have two sons and then we wait in time and then they grow up and then you can marry them. Well, we're not sure about their ages and I was a little bit shocked in my research on this, but rabbis suggested that when Ruth, came into Judah with Naomi, she was 40 years of age. Now, we kind of picture her like the picture I have up there, maybe. What's your 30s, early 30s, something like that, maybe. So just doing the maths, I was a little bit shocked, right? Because if you do the maths, with Ruth going into Judah at 40 years of age, waiting for Naomi, to, that is a, a mother-in-law, to fall in love, and then to fall pregnant and then have a child and then for that child to marry Ruth, we're going to end up with Ruth in her late 50s marrying somebody who's about 17 or 18. I know it does happen. I know it does happen, but a little bit strange. Well, Orpah considered all her options and she decided no. No, I'm not going. By the way, that's just what the rabbis taught, right? That's not in scripture, but it may have been that way. Ruth decided, I'm going to be loyal to my mother-in-law. She needs looking after. And I will stay with her, even if it means that I will remain unmarried, even if it means that I'll be poor all of my life, she needs looking after. And so she placed her hands in Naomi's hands, without, or placed herself in Naomi's hands without reservation. And then these great words, you know these words, where you go... She says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. What she's saying, she's saying all my past life I'm putting behind me, I'm forsaking and I want to worship Jehovah, the Lord. He shall be my God also. Remember, Orpah didn't do that. Orpah returned to the gods of Moab. 
But now we have Ruth. Ruth saying, I'm throwing my lot in with you to her mother-in-law. As we'll see in this chapter, nothing in Ruth's life, and we can apply it into our own lives, can't we? Nothing in, our, in Ruth's life happened by accident, by mere chance, by mere coincidence or a fluke. That everything that happened in Naomi's life was kind of filtered, I say filtered through the sovereignty of God, because everything that happens to you and me, God either plans or he allows Everything, everything. Naomi and Ruth settled in Bethlehem. And from a human perspective, we would have to say they're going to have to endure a hard life. In fact, Naomi, when she came into Bethlehem, remember, she said to her extended family and to her friends who had known her before, please don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Because God has been bitter with me, he's taken my husband from me and he's taken my two sons from me. Let's just suppose that the rabbis are correct and that Ruth is about 40 years of age. Although they place Naomi at about 60 years of age at this time. Unwilling to do, or unable I should say, to do very much work the only thing for these two women to survive was if Ruth went out and worked every day. And I just wonder if they kind of fallen into this place in their life where they thought, well, we are going to be lonely for the rest of our lives. Our, our lives are going to be fairly uneventful. I say anybody who's a believer in God, who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, seldom Seldom do you find any Christian whose life is lonely and uneventful. God does amazing things for us. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 1. Another character enters into the story at this time and his name is Boaz. And his name means in him there is strength. I was thinking that's in stark contrast, isn't it, with Naomi's two sons who were weak and sick, what their names meant. This man means strong. The same word is used elsewhere in scripture of someone who's heroic in battle. Someone who's a great warrior. And so we learn about three things about Boaz right up, right up early in this chapter. First of all, we know that he's a relative of Elimelech. We're not told what relation there is, but this places him in the position of being potentially a kinsman redeemer, which we'll see more in chapter 3. He was also a man, as his name was, a man of great strength, a man who fulfilled his obligations, and his name is Boaz. One commentator says this, a man of great knowledge of the law. He was a man of great monetary wealth, of great spiritual insight, a heart for Jehovah, and an impeccable reputation. Well, that's every guy here, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Great monetary wealth, great spiritual insight, heart for Jehovah, impeccable reputation. 
This man, of course, now had the opportunity, as we'll see, to show amazing grace to Ruth. Ruth, aware of her responsibilities, if she was going to take care of her mother-in-law, she couldn't stay home all day watching television in the middle of the day. She needed to get out, get out and earn some money. And her character is one of willingness to humble, humble herself to do the most meagre things, the lowest jobs. You know, not everybody is like that, <laughs> willing to do the most menial tasks. And it would need God's hand on her life to move in a landowner's heart to employ her. Remember, she's a foreigner. She's a Moabites. She's a believer in Jehovah. She's not ethnically a Jew. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I need to go and work. I need to get some money for us. I want to go and glean in the fields. The law of Moses was uncompromisingly strict. God had declared that if a land was to be reaped during harvest time, there must be some left for the poor to come afterwards and to be able to glean themselves. And so the right to glean was not dependent on the landowner themselves, but on God who declared that the poor needed to be looked after. However, at the time, unbelieving landowners would make it difficult sometimes for those who were poor, taking much that was left in the field. Well, we come to chapter 2, verse 3. And this is a really pivotal verse for the whole book. Let me read it to you again. So she went, she came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. As it just so happened. As it just so happened, she came to a field of a man who was a relative of her departed father-in-law and departed husband. Simply a stroke of good luck. She just happened to come across this field. She didn't know the people. She didn't know the field. She came to this field purely by chance. In fact, in the Hebrew, the term, I like this, is put this way. Chance, chanced upon the field of Boaz. Chance, chanced upon the field of Boaz. She didn't see the great significance of this particular time. That's how we see things from a human perspective, isn't it? But from a divine perspective, God knew exactly what he was doing. Ruth did not just happened to come to this field, just happened to come to this field of, of reapers, did not just happen to come to this place looking for work or just happen to end up in a field belonging to a relative of her mother-in-law. Do you have those moments in your life, the as-it-happened moments? As-it-happened Talking from a woman's point of view, I saw this man across the room and the crowds began to part. We locked eyes together. Or there I saw her in the coffee shop. 
My eyes could not be taken away from her. Well, the custard tarts weren't so bad. But then, but then I locked my eyes on her again, as it just so happened. I shared last week with the men with purpose. Looking back over my, well, I feel I'm getting old. Looking back over my life and thinking, God brought me into touch with this person and then, then this person and this person. And I can see things just aren't as it so happened. This is the hand of God. The hand of God moving, directing, bringing people into my life and then those people having an influence. That way back in 1994 when I started at Ashgrove Church and Pastor Peter had left to start the church down at the football club down in Graham Road. And after a few months gave me a call and said, Neil, would you come and preach? And then that led to preaching for the Christmas service. Remember the Christmas in the park? And so now I've been doing that weekend, as some of you know, for 24, 25 years I've been doing that. They've been bringing me in in a wheelchair one year, I'm sure. <laughs> Neil, Neil, we still want you to preach at Christmas for us. Did it just so happen? No, God brought all those events together. Let me say again, everything that happens in our lives, everything, is either God planned or God allows. One or the two. Mrs. Thomas, the wife of Major Ian Thomas, I shared with this in a couple of sermons here, I think, before, but they're great words. She spoke to me one day and she said, Neil, for the first 40 years of being a Christian, I used to ask, why God? Why are you doing that God? Why are you doing that God? Why this God? Why that God? And then she said, for the last 40 years, because she was in her early 90s, she said, for the last 40 years I've been saying, that's why. That's why. Having no idea to begin with, but seeing God's hand of how he brings things together. Do you have those moments? As it happened. I'm a bit cheeky. I'm just thinking we might go to morning tea this morning. And if you're a single person, you might be looking through those scones with jam and cream. And there's somebody there, lock eyes with. <laughs> I'm a bit cheeky, I know. Anyway. Well, let's get back into the story. Ruth came to the field, which led, would lead to her acquaintance with Boaz which then would, as we'll see later on, lead to her marriage with Boaz, which then would allow David to be her great-grandson, that is Ruth, that is David in the Scriptures, and then, hundreds of years later, would allow Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to be born. It all started, well, it didn't start, but the process involved Ruth going to this particular field, that then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Two things, two things were necessary for God's agenda to be filled. First of all, Boaz had to be a man of amazing grace. Is first of all, not a stingy man, not tight-fisted, but a man who was willing to be gracious and gracious to Ruth. And secondly, he had to be of the same clan as Elimelech for these events, for him to be the kinsman redeemer. One of the exciting things about being a Christian is being able to say, from my point of view, it just so happened. But from God's point of view, he'd had already 
fulfilled or was in the process of fulfilling his plans and purposes. Every experience of our lives, in part, is part of the grand design of a loving God, a sovereign God, who brings spiritual blessing into our lives. Even the terrible things that sometimes occur and the things that really challenge us, God can use for our good and his glory. Well, Boaz, Boaz said to the reapers, Jehovah be with you. And their reply was, Jehovah bless you. So now she's among a group of people who are worshippers of Jehovah. This is the customary greeting of the employer to the employee at the time when a godly relationship existed amongst them. So it just so happened. On the day that Ruth was working in the fields, who should turn up but this man, Boaz? She caught his eye. Stranger, foreigner, a new woman on the job he hadn't previously seen. And so he asked his supervisor, who is, who is this young woman? And the reply is, she is the young Moabite woman. She returned with Naomi from Moab. And then the supervisor speaks of her work. Strangely, she had asked to glean behind the reapers, which was the most unusual thing because normally the male harvesters would go through the fields first of all, cutting down the grain with their scythes, and then the female workers would follow behind, binding up the cut grain into sheaves. Ruth's request was that she be right behind the men and that she be able to collect the grain that had fallen off in the binding process. This would allow her to have more gleanings in the field and then, of course, to return later to all the piles of grain that she'd brought together and be able to take those. Strange request, but it had been granted. And the supervisor said this of her, Boaz, she's a great worker. Boy, she work hard. She's been here from early morning right through to evening and she hardly ever stops. Isn't this a sign of loyalty? Like we looked at last time. Loyalty to Naomi and now here loyalty to her task of what she was required to do. Now again, we're not sure. But the rabbis taught, or some of the rabbis taught, that Boaz was 80 years of age. I'd never thought about that before. I'd always placed him as a much younger man. But again, maybe, possibly it's true. Well, he gave Ruth specific instructions. She was to stay in the field. And she was to stay close to the female servants. She was to remain as a gleaner and to follow immediately after the servant girls where the pickings would be the most numerous. And this would identify her as someone who was in, in with Boaz workers. She was also to follow immediately behind Boaz's servants girls, which means that she would be able to glean a lot more than what would normally be the case. She was also 
charged by Boaz that all his men, male workers, were not to touch her. They were to leave her alone. But if she was thirsty, she could go to the water, go to the well where the young men drew their water and she could drink from there also. So Ruth gets the job, foreigner gets the job in this field, but she gets fringe benefits thrown as well. Oh, we love those fringe benefits, don't we? No one was to, to harass her. If she was thirsty at any time, she could go to the well where the young men were and she could take some water from there. Imagine, imagine for a moment how Ruth would have felt. I mean, she was just going to work to do the most meagre job, the, the jobs that other people didn't want to do. And now she's in a position where she's getting blessed so much, getting given so much by her employer. I wonder what our response is when we know those occasions when the Lord has truly blessed us in abundance. When God just, I call them seasons of blessing. You know, sometimes in our lives, we go through times when life's a real challenge. Life is just hard. Life is just like getting up every day and I need to do this, I need to do this. But I think also as Christians, there are times in our lives, there's seasons of our lives of blessing where you just, it's just, everything becomes so easy. I had an occasion at the Bible school when I was down there. So we'd gone through three or four years of real difficult times. You know, some students would come and they would just be a real challenge. They'd want to bend the rules, break the rules, do the wrong thing. And three or four years of really hard time and sometimes the staff, you know, little fractions happening there as well. And then we had a year, I remember, a year of it seemed so easy. All the students were like angels sent from heaven. Oh, so good. When I said you're mopping the kitchen floor every morning for the next week, the student would do it, actually do it. We saw student numbers grow. We saw beautiful atmosphere. And I would say to the staff, it's not always going to be like this, right? I don't know how long this season's going to last, but let's just enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Do you know those occasions also where God just pours his blessing out in abundance? Well, what was her response? She fell on her face. <laughs> of course she would. She bowed to the ground overwhelmed that she should be the recipient of such grace. Her verbal response was, why have I found favour in your sight? You have noticed the unnoticed. You have recognised the unrecognised. Boaz had not seen Ruth until this moment. He'd heard a lot about her. He'd heard of her character. How she'd left her family, she'd left the country, she was caring for her mother-in-law. And now he wanted to bless her. And so his prayer is that may she be repaid by the Lord, by Jehovah, for her loyalty. And may she be like a chick, protected under the wings of the Lord. Beautiful. God honours those who share blessings with others. 
because as God is amazingly gracious to you and me, he calls us by his spirit at work within us to be amazingly gracious toward others. The irony, of course, is that Boaz prayed for Ruth and that Boaz would actually be the one who would be the answer to her own prayer. So overwhelmed with this grace being poured out upon her, Ruth refers to herself as a shiphar, which was a slave girl belonging to the lowest social class who was willing to do the most menial of tasks, nothing more than the property of the owner. But Boaz had been so kind to her. It was mealtime. Instead of having to look after herself, Boaz told her that she could eat from the food provided to the harvesters. Dry bread would be dipped into wine vinegar and spiced up, sometimes olive oil would be added to it. And then Boaz expresses amazing grace, even more grace towards her. Four things his young workers were to do for Ruth. He went well beyond the usual generosity and compassion for the poor. Gleaners were normally permitted to glean only after the harvesters had completed their work. It was most unusual for a gleaner to pick up the grain close to the harvesters. But Boaz said, let her do this. Obviously he had some attraction toward Ruth at this time. And he saw, he knew of her in her care and concern with her mother-in-law. She was not to be verbally stopped or abused in any way. And in fact, his own servants were to pull out handfuls of stalks. This is the grain that the sickler grabbed with his left hand as he cut it with the right hand. And handfuls of grain were to be left just for Ruth as she followed afterwards. And his servants were not to desist her, not to order her to desist from collecting these. You imagine, you imagine how Ruth felt. I'm, I'm so unworthy, I don't deserve this. He is giving so much to me. In fact, we read at the end of the day, she'd collected 13 kilograms of barley. Now, that's, that's some weight, isn't it? 13 kilograms to go home with. She returned home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, also with leftover food that she'd been given for dinner. Now, Naomi knew that none of this was possible without, without some intervention by somebody. And so Ruth replies, this man, Boaz. And straight away, Naomi knows the hand of the Lord is on Ruth. God's blessing in abundance. Blessed be Jehovah, she says, who has been kind to the living, that is herself and Ruth, and, been, and to the dead, Elimelech and Marlon. Extraordinarily, it was not just by chance or as it so happened that Ruth ended up in that field. 
as we'll see when we come back in mid-April mid and pick up chapter 3, Elimelech was a kinsman redeemer. He was related to the family. Ruth would glean every day for the next two or three months, first barley, then the wheat, bringing home every day what she'd been given. So we see from Ruth chapter 2, Ruth received amazing grace from this man. Naomi and Boaz had not yet met, and so Ruth becomes like an intermediary between the two. And the grace that Boaz shows to Ruth is just the beginning. You know, the book, there's more to come. So as we think about the grace of the Lord on our lives, on our lives, I doubt whether we came to the Lord because of his justice, because of his holiness. I would say that for us gathered here this morning, by far the majority, we came to the Lord because of his grace. There was a moment in your life as there was a moment in my life. I grew up as in a Christian home, been to church all my life, but there was a moment when I knew I understood Jesus has given his life for me. God's love for me is so great. I can do nothing but give my life to him. Overwhelmed with the amazing grace of God. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child. Your grace abounds to me. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace to cleanse and pardon within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Greater than all our sin. Amazing grace has saved a wretch like me. Do you know that grace personally? Can you say this morning, it didn't just so happen. God called me. I've come into his grace. I know his grace. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are a gracious God, abounding in love, rich in mercy. And Lord, for some of us, perhaps there are things that are occurring in our lives right now that are challenges. We're not in that season of blessing, perhaps. But Lord, may our faith be strong in you. May we not depart from you or your ways, Lord, trusting in you this day. That as you were gracious yesterday, so the same grace you are pouring out in our lives, so you will pour out grace on our lives tomorrow. For those of Lord who are in, we are in this place of blessing at this time, Lord, life is good. May we never think it's because of us. May we never, Lord, take the glory away from you. But in those times of blessing, Lord, be reminding us your good hand, your amazing grace on our life. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for him giving his life for us, that he might give his life to us, that his life might 
be lived through us. We honour and praise you. In in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't we stand together? Amazing grace. How sweet the sight that saved a wretch like me. in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity.